fancy seeing you here. Welcome to a very special episode of Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour. My little podcast is turning one year old. <laughs> oh, how it's grown. Um, yeah, I'm going to stop the pretend crying now because I'm not really good at it. I'm going a bit away from the regular format this episode because, you know, it's a special occasion and we have to do these things. So instead of having one co-host who joins me in the parlour for some tea and cake and a 12-hour ramble fest that I have to somehow edit down into an hour and a half of, you know, usable audio, I'm actually going to be doing some interviews. I don't want to give away with who because that's the excitement uh, that will make you listen right until the end. But um, yeah, it's been a ridiculously fun experience to do this. I was kind of terrified. So it's been uh, it's been a really good experience actually doing these interviews. And this is the first time that I've done any without the help of my delightful friend Is. Uh, who I used to do the Comet Racks podcast with. So hopefully you won't be able to tell that I was basically shitting myself throughout all of them. And, you know, you'll get something good out of these interviews as well. So uh, come on down, pop on a party hat, grab yourself a slice of cake and uh, and enjoy uh, the first of the interviews, which you will be hearing right about, well, in, say, sort of 30 seconds or so, is with one of my favourite people in the comics industries, Paul Cornell. He was one of the first people that we interviewed with Comic Racks, and, um, and since then he's been kind enough to sort of... Uh, follow myself and he's about the place we've uh, we've chatted to him at cons we've had him on we had him on comic racks a couple of times and he was kind enough to say yes to uh, to joining me in the parlor as well so uh pop this into your little ear holes everybody bit of poor cornell well welcome to the parlor you know i'd offer you some cake but you're not in the same room as me so um do with cake i'm running on sugar <sighs> Are you are you about to like sort of crash? Because if that happens, I don't know if I can prop up this interview by myself. I'm not really interested. In <laughs> There's no reason I have a co-host on the podcast. It's so that I don't have to talk all the time. So. I'll just get really depressed. And, and ne- the next thing that happened was, and, and I don't know. I don't know how I'll get through it, Stacey. I, I, I just need some cake. Yeah, so I'd like to think maybe I should have got cake. <laughs> some Battenberg um, or, or a nice lemon drizzle cake. Oh, Vintage, uh, vintage fruit cake that would be very nice i see i'm not a fan of the fruit cake i feel like it's cheating because fruit is healthy and cake is not and i don't want to to it <laughs> i want like a big dirty chocolate cake but oh oh big dirty chocolate cake my wife will be wondering what this conversation is about <laughs> yeah this is a podcast about cakes welcome um... <laughs> uh, i think it's i think it was the phrase big dirty chocolate cake that really... <laughs> You know what I mean, though? I don't mean actually, like, filthy. That would be gross. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead, I'm dead to, take this, to take this Fergie. Give me that. Give me a big, dirty chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> See, now, the problem is, if you'd have been at Thought Bubble last year, there was, in fact, Stace made cake on offer. Lovely. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to pop up to Thought Bubble again this year. I'm, I miss it, and uh, I... You know, it's been a while since I went, so I'm 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 going to have a go at going this year. Oh, good times! I'm trying to save up for it, but I've got my sister's wedding and hen party, a friend's fortieth, my nan's seventieth, my aunt's fiftieth, my cousin's twenty-first. So yeah, it's probably not going to happen. But... No. <laughs> your your family really believed in planning things exactly, didn't they? I mean, they, they yeah. Yeah. There's a certain specific distances between each each. It's um it's not very helpful to me because you know I'm going to be entirely skinted, but. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Anyway, we really are going off topic almost sure. immediately. Yeah. That's going to be some kind of record. <laughs> I'm going to kick off by talking about Wolverine a bit, if that's okay. Oh, lovely. So it was announced that you were going to be doing the new Wolverine Marvel Now 
with Alan Davis. And I suppose the biggest thing I've always wondered about Wolverine is that he pops up so much in so many comics with so many different writers and artists. Do you not find it a bit of a, a challenge to bring something new to the table? Oh yeah, um, and that's that's the lovely thing actually that there is that challenge. You know, there's there's something uh, something interesting to do, and that's to find new corners and new aspects. You got to find something new that still feels right for the character. And I, I was having this conversation with Kieran Gillen the other night actually, and we were saying yeah, there, there is loads of stuff to do with Wolverine. You know that that nobody's thought of before, and you know we kind of. Um, uh, uh, what I'm 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 aiming to bring, basically, just looking at him from another angle. There's going to be some surprises and some changes in his life, and one of the lovely things, and the reason I'm enjoying myself so much, I've got to say, I am having an absolute ball. It, it, it's lovely to be back at Marvel, and Janine Schaefer, who I, I think I'd only worked with very briefly before. I think, although I could be wrong, she edited the Spitfire one off, but she's just this terrific editor and we have wonderful phone conversations where we're just firing things off each other and and i'm having trouble keeping up and she's she's excellent so it's very much this bubbling ferment of, of new stuff but i i think that anybody who's followed the character for a while uh especially the really old old guard I, I think they'll just tune into a certain tone of voice. But basically, the voice that, that he keeps on talking to me in is Clint Eastwood um, in one of his kind of relaxed old man parts. Um, I said the words relaxed old man parts there. That's, just, that's not good. That's not- I, tried, I tried to gloss over it, but you brought it up. Rolls. That's what I'm after. Relaxed old man rolls. It's not much better. Anyway, Clint Eastwood. Clint in in a in a role where he's 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 able to laugh at himself. He's a very mature. He's charming, um, but he's got that grit. He's got that toughness. Mm-hmm. And um, Wolverine is the, the the most mature person on earth. Um, he's been around. He has no. Um, no, uh, none of this vampire boredom with life. He's he's lived, um, you know, two two and a bit centuries. Isn't it? it is two and a bit centuries, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Don't ask me. I'm. And, dense. <laughs> and, and um, but he's he's never got bored. He he likes life. He likes people. One of the lines I've got in the first arc is. Somebody says so. Somebody makes that joke that's been made an, an awful lot lately as a kind of meta joke about comics. Why are you on so many teams? You seem to be in every single comic. You seem to be everywhere. And the answer to that, there's a real life answer to that, which is that he likes people. Um, somebody says, "But aren't you a loner?" He says, "I never said I was a loner. <laughs> I'm, 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 I joined every team that asked me." <laughs> and uh, you know, he's he's running a school now. He's 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 not this. This guy, he was going through a teenage phase when he first showed up at the X-Men. You know, he's kind of, he's a very responsible individual. And I really like that. But it doesn't mean to say that he's gone all softly, softly. There's um, a line from a samurai movie that I've just had him mention, which is um, one has to be willing to shoulder the um, sin of killing. And um, it's a scene where he doesn't want to... Uh, there are some innocents involved here, and he absolutely doesn't want to hurt innocents. That's one thing that's really, really a line he won't cross. But he just realizes that uh, he's going to have to. 
and he says, "Well, I'll try to to I'll try just to um, injure. I'll I'll try not to kill anyone, but I'm going to fail. Some people are going to die in the next five minutes. Let me do this. This is what I do." Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this is this is all stuff I love. I love that kind of vulnerable tough guy stuff. And sorry, I've been going on and off, but you know, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm, really, I'm really into this. Uh, <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. Do you have a quite a connection with the character then? Yeah, it, he was my kind of return to American comics. I'd been reading British Marvel and books like The Avengers, and there was a little gap. And I remember opening. Uh, because it looks so great, this new X-Men that suddenly appeared in my newsagents. And on the first um, uh, spread, there was this guy with claws, a superhero <laughs> with claws. Now, I think actually that's right at the heart of Wolverine's entire appeal, that moment of, of, of sheer amazement. Um, being thrown through the air by Colossus towards Sauron, a giant pter- pterodactyl man. And um, I just thought, that's brilliant. <laughs> this is for me. <laughs> yeah. And I still feel very bonded to that particular team of six X-Men who went, who went round the globe, actually. But, um, uh, yeah, um, and he got me through uh, certain awful times at school, as much as Doctor Who did. The Paul Smith brood stuff, the stuff in space, Paul Smith and Dave Cockrum. This is all Claremont, of course, who I'll talk about in a mo, hopefully. That really kept me going. The X-Men is a book that supported an awful lot of people through through being bullied through awful times. And um, Claremont. I, I, I'm, I'm privileged to have met him once or twice, and we've had some nice long pub conversations. And he, he he is so undervalued. You know, I think he's perhaps the second the second greatest voice in American comics after Stan Lee. And um, you know, the, the the sheer the sheer revolution he created, the sheer amount of stuff he did, and the way which actually since he stopped, and I think he has in effect stopped the the, the things he did as breakthroughs have gone been gone back on have lost their way you know he's he's the one with the majority female x-men team mm-hmm. um we've only just got that again and it was so many female characters um so many so many strong female characters anyway his wolverine that quite vulnerable warm uh, um funny uh guy who could be an absolute raving berserker <laughs> Uh, who looks after people, who looks after Kitty and Jubilee, who, um, you know, kind of, um, who looks after Jean and is horrified that he can't save Jean and is looks after her to the point where he hopes he'd be willing to kill her if she asked. You know, he's, he's fascinating. And there's so much depth there. And what I'm trying, the things I'm trying to avoid are... We're not going to visit Canada. We're not going to visit Japan. We're not going to have any of the old rogues gallery. Right. Uh, because I think those things do kind of, uh, you know, kind of that, that is the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. Although it would be really nice to visit Canada and have it be a modern, um, you know, kind of uh, non-mocked, um, straightforwardly uh, uh, urban place. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, maybe later, maybe maybe I've got this enormous list of arcs planned out into the way into the future. Uh, sh- all short arcs. Um, we're doing little quick bursts. I think people got quite fed up with my long-term thing on Demon Knights, and this time around, <laughs> I'm 
you know, quick little things. Um, and uh, but they all add up. You know, they're all going somewhere and stack up in a, in a row, and um, we'll make a bigger story. And uh, oh, sorry, what was what, what was I talking about? I, I, um, Oh yes, and, and no bub. I hate bloody bub. I think everybody's um, sick of bub by now. To be honest, I know I am. Because nobody else talks like that, um, and Canadians don't talk like that. I don't think I've ever heard anybody use the word bub except Wolverine in a movie. <laughs> like I've never heard it out loud. Yeah, I'd like to do a story, maybe a historical story, although I've denied myself those for the moment as well, because those are a bit overplayed. Um, but I'd like to do a historical story seeing where he got that from, what the... Mm-hmm. It must have felt current for Claremont in the 1970s, 1980s. And um, But I wonder where it's current from. And uh, it's got to be a really specific place and time. But anyway, somewhere in X-Men continuity, I bet somebody's done that already. It's entirely possible. Sorry. Wolverine's got so many sort of origin stories and things. I would imagine someone's probably covered it somewhere that I haven't read. I feel really bad there. Sort of bringing it vaguely more up to date, I'm going to spoil this sort of for people who haven't been keeping up with Marvel Comics, particularly the... Avengers versus X-Men stuff. How do you think the whole business with... Or how are you going to tie in the whole business with Scott Summers and the death of Xavier? Because obviously that's going to be a big deal for Wolverine. There's several things looming over Wolverine at the start of this. One that the really important thing to say is... I think I have. It's naive of me, maybe, but I'm hoping that maybe somebody who's never read Wolverine will pick this up. So I am actually reintroducing the character to some degree. Mm-hmm. You know, you can pick up this first issue and you will learn everything you need to know about him, which isn't very much, but it's all there. And there's no shadow of continuity looming over it. But what there is is character shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, so him and Scott, the death of Charles. And one other big character event are all playing hugely on his mind. And he's made some changes as a result. And across these first four and then these first six issues, a four-parter and a two-parter, there's two action movie plots back to back, which demonstrate when put together how he's been affected by all this stuff. And that, I mean, I, I, for instance, I, have to, I keep having him uh, reference what Charles would have wanted, what Charles would have said. Mm-hmm. Um, does he kind of sees himself as the inheritor a bit since he's in charge of the, of the school? You know, they, this all suits this this guy who's almost having a midlife crisis, although that's a kind of trite way to put it. There's a new supporting cast in this book as well, civilians. A bunch of um, folk who hang out in a particular bar in New York, which is kind of like a cop's bar, only they're professionals who work with in the field of superheroes without themselves being people with powers Hmm. Uh, and we're having great fun with those there's some interesting characters there and wolverine has started hanging out there and befriending these people because he wanted to make a new start in one part of his life and um you know these are people he can talk on a as equals with despite the fact that they're not mutants they're not superpowered people and uh, they first show up in three. Oh, at the end of two, there's an enormous, completely from a totally different part of the Marvel Universe guest appearance right at the end of two, which I think will blow people's socks off. Oh. And, and we'll have them going, well, what, what, 
how, why, what? Uh, that plays out, you know, across all my little arcs. Oh, that's intriguing. See, I was going to pick this up anyway because I like Wolverine. So you've, you've already sold me. You don't need to sell me anymore. <laughs> Even the people who, who like, you know, I can understand them being a little jaded because there's been so much Wolverine. So really, I kind of, I want to emphasize the freshness. Uh, and, and Alan's pencils are just terrific. You know, I'm just getting such a fanboy rush off them. If, if anything, he's he's changed his game a bit. You know, there's a, a kind of modernity to them. There's so much detail of street-level New York. And, you know, every, you kind of still associate Alan, I think, a little with whimsy because of that long Excalibur run where he was often called upon to do whimsy. But Actually, he's really good with emotion and drama and character scenes and um, street-level stuff. And that's kind of what we're playing at the start. I'm going to sort of move away from uh, from comics for a bit, just because it is a pop culture parlour. It's not, it's not all about the comics. It, it's mostly about the comics. And talk a bit about London Falling, if that's okay. Please. Um, so for those who don't know what that is, do you want to give a little brief yeah. synopsis? It's my first urban fantasy novel. It's out from Tor in Britain, um, and it's out in the States in April. It's kind of the wire do Buffy in London right now. London undercover coppers uh, have a suspect explode in custody and (laughs) realise that they're up against the forces of the supernatural and uh, gain accidentally the ability to see this stuff, freak out, and then decide the only way they're going to survive this is by using your actual police methods and tactics against this stuff. And it's been my pleasure to meet a number of fantastic undercover coppers and intelligence analysts in the making of it. And it's a police procedural urban fantasy. So I'll freely admit that I haven't read this yet. It is on my to-read pile, but I've read a few reviews online and a lot of people have, have said that it's sort of darker than they were expecting from your good self. Was that a direction you wanted to go in to sort of come away from the... Do you yeah. like the stuff that you've done, or...? I do like to not be typecast. And one of the things I, I wanted when I went to Marvel was, I said, not an English book. Uh, I don't want to be that British guy. Yeah. And, and, you know, Wolverine is absolutely what I was after in that regard. <laughs> and uh, I, Although, you know, I dearly love the Captain Britain characters and would love to get back to them, but not now. Wait until I've become that guy who writes Wolverine, uh, and then I'll go back and change the typecasting again but um in terms of london falling yeah i i wanted to write something really emotional and in my straightforward from the heart voice that i used to write my doctor who novels in a book that you know i wouldn't be thinking twice about what voice i had and it turned out to be quite dark which is fine with me um there's humor through it but you know the subject matter is quite dark and um yeah, I, I, I wanted to, you know, do what I did in my Doctor Who episodes, make people make people cry a bit. And, uh, you know, kind of there's emotional catharsis as well, you know, make people feel better at the end of it as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just getting to the end of the sequel as we speak. Oh, I say just getting to the end of it. In front of me are three pieces of A4 paper covered in this teeny tiny capitals I use when making notes, all of which I mix in. And I have been away from finishing for the last three weeks now. It's very frustrating. Oh dear. So is this going to be part of a series or is it just the two? No, part of a series. The It's kind of like a crime series. They finish a particular case in every book, so you get a whole 
finished hit of something every time. But there's backstory going on, which keeps, you know, uh, continuity between them. Oh, splendid. I'm definitely going to have to check those out because I'm, um, I can't say as I've ever read an urban fantasy novel before. Well, this is, it's rather nice. I've had a couple of people saying that. I, I think I'm bringing people in from some other directions. And um, yeah, uh, magic, magic in, in the city. It's, hmm. Mm. I was I was going to mention something, but I'm I'm frightened that it will spoil things, so I'll I'll leave it alone, or I'll just cut it out. In fact, I've heard <laughs> I've heard say that there's quite a big link to a certain London-based football club in there. Oh yeah, um, it's no, it's not that big a spoiler. Um, that, that's all right then. Well, I was ju- I was just going to say, was that was that something you wanted to include straight from from the offset, or did that just sort of naturally occur? Because it seems like a strange thing to because I don't know how it links. <laughs> It seems like a very strange thing to include in a sort of magical cop drama. <laughs> West Ham, you see, the, the occult history of West Ham Football Club, it's extraordinary. Um, the origins of West Ham are tied up with Anne Boleyn, uh, who uh, they would play at the Boleyn ground. Um, there's a castle on their um, on their badge. And uh, and Castle's actually outside the ground. Uh, it's a kind of archway. And because Anne Boleyn reputedly stayed in a house nearby, which became known as Boleyn Castle, and that the ground was named after it. But there's all sorts of terrifying occult lore about West Ham Football Club. I get, I got quite worried. <laughs> and, 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 and the last thing I did was when I was writing the book, they were in the championship and seemed you know, uh, destined to stay there. And then they suddenly whooshed towards the premiership and got in. And the very last thing I had to do with the book was change all of the um, matches they played to premiership ones. Uh, I thought, oh, there's something dark happening there. There's <laughs> there. And um, but, but it, it forms a, a very slight thread of the book, but it's all there and is all kind of real and historical, the occult history of West Ham Football Club. <laughs> and, um, I would never have suspected that. I mean, I know very little about football anyway, particularly West Ham, but that's really bizarre. Yeah, I know. It was it was interesting reading up on that. I can imagine. I might end up reading up on that after this interview, to be honest, because I, I like, although I'm not particularly a person who believes in magic as such, I find it ludicrously interesting. Mm. Just where the legends come from as well, like because half the time they come from stuff that actually did happen, but they've kind of got almost Chinese whispersy, totally blown out of proportion by the time they hit your ears. <laughs> I do. I think I do believe in magic a bit. Um, I, I used to be a Wiccan, and you know, still, still don't mind a bit of Wicca. And um, you know, I, I every now and then you think, well, does the mind have the ability to affect the material world? I mean, the placebo effect is is a bit startling when you think about it. That, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, if, if the placebo effect would extend into the rest of the physical world, then if your plane, if the aircraft you were on was crashing, all you'd need to do was the pilot um, get on the tannoy and say, everyone, the plane isn't really crashing, and you'd all be fine. Um, it's, um, I, I, every now and then, I'm perhaps romantically inclined to think there is something there. Mm. I'd like to think there is more to the world than what we can explain. It's just that I'm a bit of a sceptic. I won't believe it till I see it, and half of it is stuff that you can't see. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I, I think scepticism is great, and I'm a bit of a sceptic as well. I'm a, a, an Anglican pagan sceptic. <laughs> that sounds like a very niche corner of the world. Because <laughs> I think it's just me. <laughs> 
Oh dear. I'm going to steer it back towards comics again, just to talk a little bit about Saucer Country. Now, I'll be totally honest about this. I did start reading it, and then I stopped. But that is nothing to do with you, so much as the fact that I don't... <laughs> I'm, I'm just being honest. I am. Um, I don't. I don't really gel well with like conspiracy theory stories. But because it was you, I thought I'll give it a go. But I still didn't really gel very well with it. Sorry. It's not your fault. <laughs> yeah, I gave it a try. Gave it a shot. So that's that's ending in April. Is it? Let me see. February, March, April. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it with issue fourteen. Um, ending ending for now. I think it's safe to say. Oh, so are you looking to sort of... Is it going to get a definitive ending? No. Um, oh. to, we, we, were, we were told we were ending with issue 14 um, while Ryan was drawing issue 12. Oh. And so I just didn't have the space. I thought about it for a whole day, wondering, can I physically put the answers to all these questions into two issues? And I thought, I thought in the end, well, not not in the form of drama. It would just have to be a big list. And um, so what we've done is um, we have come up with an end of season one, which was, you know, what where where we were going to be anyway. But we answer a major, major question at the end of issue fourteen. Actually, at the end of issue 13, but at the end of issue 14 is issue 14 is also a big moment of truth for there are lead characters and a big turning point. So we, we're just going to say end of season one, basically. And then uh, we are in negotiation with there are, I think, at least there are at least two different uh, organizations we are in negotiations with about continuing. Oh, splendid. So would that be in a sort of trades-type situation, or...? I don't think I'd better go into any further detail. <laughs> fair enough, fair this, enough. This would be, of course, not until the rights revert to me. Mm-hmm. Well, that's... I suppose it's... Um, I would say it's definitely good not to try and squash everything into issue 14, because that would be not particularly I interesting, I guess. We've all seen it, haven't we, where shows wrap up early and they try and and finished their stories in far too quick a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, were, there, was, there was just too much stuff. We would actually have had to have, you know, to have had pe- uh, characters standing there with blackboards and diagrams. And, <laughs> so then, what happened? Because he, oh, because they are, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like a particularly fantastic read. <laughs> Although, I've got to say, Ryan's art in it is a bit delicious, isn't it? Oh, isn't it wonderful? Uh, it, uh, he's just so amazing. He, um, I've just, I've just arranged to buy some of his original art because I wanted some so much, and um, yeah, uh, I, I, I look forward to working with him again hugely. He is absolutely one of my favourite artists. He can do do it all. You know, he's tremendous character work, and he can draw ordinary people so well. I do find that's um, that's something that I, I mean, pff, I can't even draw a stick man, so I shouldn't really be casting any stones. But, <laughs> but I do find that a lot of problems I have, well, not not necessarily problems, but things that I notice in comics is that a lot of the people in the background look almost entirely the same. Oh. And I, f- I find that really off-putting because that's not reflective of the world. And if you, uh, right, if you look at one of Ryan's crowds, there are, you know, little people with character in there. You know, they're very different. Yeah, he is pretty spiffing. I was reading... 
I, I'm reading so much right now that my brain is getting a little bit tangled. But I think I was reading an issue of Gambit, and um, and Wisdom popped up in there, which uh, oh, I love Wisdom so much. If he ever came back to you as a as an offer, would you take him up again? Ah, that's really difficult. I'm he's so my favourite. You know, he's kind of my Mary Sue character. He he he's the the character <laughs> I most empathise with. He's certainly not going to appear in Wolverine, and I'm not doing any other Marvel titles at the moment. So this is all for the future. One day, one day, one one day, one day, I'll get him back together with Kitty Pride. Because <laughs> I would, uh, do you know what? If I was in charge of Marvel, I'd just be like, ah, wisdom ongoing. No, please. <laughs> this is probably why I'm not in charge of Marvel. <laughs> what, what else would be in your 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 immediate slate? What 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 else would you do? At least sort of five Deadpool comics because Deadpool. <laughs> Damn badly, would it? That's that's kind of what they're doing now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say actually, there are a lot of Deadpool comics at the moment, so you know, I'm kind of getting pretty much exactly what I want. I don't. Apologies. Yeah, I'd be all about the Spider Man as well. But um, yeah. I love Marvel right now. It's funny because not long ago I was going through a real sort of DC phase and I was like, I can't be bothered to read these Marvel comics. I'll just look at them later. And then about a month ago, I had a pile of about 200 Marvel comics that I hadn't read. I'm now all cut up, though. So, you know, wow. job done well, there. I think there are so many, so many interesting and kind of strange and, you know, eccentric titles and and in really good ways you know it, it kind of it kind of feels like they're exploring again that they're they're experimenting again it's it's it's, it's a really good time to be into marvel the thing is when i left marvel for dc i never really sort of walked out and slammed the door behind me i sort of just i was waiting for what my next marvel thing might be and then dc said come and have an exclusive so you know there were lots of friends that i never lost touch with and that i you know, was happy to get back in, you know, into the same ranks with. I do love Marvel right now. I love Wolverine and the X-Men at the moment. I think that's a, a really good title. Mm. Comedy ti- X-Men comedy title with Wolverine in it. Who'd have, who'd have thought? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's the, the, the thing that I like about Marvel at the moment is it's kind of playing with your ideas of people because for for yonks, I've always sort of envisioned Wolverine as, as some sort of like loner grumpy kind of a bit of an arsehole actually yeah yeah um, but but more recently i mean when because sometimes rich talks to me about comics because he's he usually reads them before i do and sometimes he tells me what's going to happen before it happens because i'm so far behind that i'll forget by the time i read it anyway and when he mentioned that that wolverine would be taking over the school i was like uh what <laughs> that doesn't make any sense he's not a people person um but the more you read i mean recently he's been kind of brilliant Mm. Oh, and Young Avengers and Miss Marvel. You know these are. These oh, are Captain Marvel. Captain I am... Marvel. I keep keep calling her Miss Marvel. Uh, oh, yeah. I Captain, Marvel. Captain Marvel. And and Young Avengers has just been tremendous. I, I, I like anything Kieran Gillen does, really. And um, you know, it's uh, it's nice to be amongst all this again. I was uh, I was so chuffed at Thought Bubble because um, Kieran Gillen came over to me while I was flailing. I, it wasn't dancing, it was actually flailing, <laughs> uh, to tell me that I was his favourite on the dance floor. Oh. And, uh, and at the time, I was just like, yeah, thanks, that's great, because I might have been a little bit drunk on wine um, <laughs> and and just proceeded to keep flailing. So that was good. <laughs> I really must flail at one of his discos at uh, Thought Bubble. <laughs> oh, I definitely should. I flail. I, I, I believe that one should 
dance absolutely without reservation and not caring what anybody thinks and dance badly. Dance and with at least, you know, 95% of your limbs. <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say 95% blood alcohol, but yes. <laughs> well, that, that helps usually with the not caring. <laughs> my, my dancing is actually dangerous. People have hobbled off the dance floor as a result of collisions and oh dear um yeah me and, me and kieran gillen collided on the thought bubble dance floor i think i might have punched him <laughs> is that is that what he liked I, d- I don't know um i sort of punched him and we exchanged a glance that was kind of like it's okay we're dancing there's there's no, there's no <laughs> malicious intent here i'm just it's we're just dancing it's fine you'll, uh, you'll end up in photograph that, that sounds tremendous <laughs> oh i wished I need to try and insert myself into more comics. That's what I've decided. Absolutely. I have to stop changing my hair, though, because that makes it difficult. <laughs> Going entirely off topic now. I guess that's pretty much all I really wanted to, like, seriously talk to you about. So are there any things that you... I mean, obviously, aside from Wolverine, that you would like to plug? Any signings or appearances? Upcoming things? There's... I'm doing quite a lot of conventions this summer. Um, I'm presenting the Hugo Awards this year. Ooh. Which is good fun. Uh, apart from that, um, I, I, I commend people to my Twitter stream and my blog. I think I shall leave it at that. Fair enough. Well, it was absolutely lovely to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I do appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I've got to go to go and um, and play with play with my little man, and I've got a baby to go and look after as well. <laughs> Oh, I like it. We'll just start rude and end rude. That's, uh, that's the way forward, I think. And do you know what? Any of the other interviews I do now, if they don't start and finish that way, I'm going to be really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Thank you again for coming on. Thanks very much. Cheers, then. Bye. Isn't he just, like, the nicest chap? So nice. Well, I'm not going to keep you too long simply because I really kind of hate talking to myself, so this is becoming very, very weird. Basically, I'm just here to introduce the next interview, uh, which will be with one of the three head honchos from the comics uh, company. They've been sort of uh, popping out comics for, uh, well, graphic novels usually, for... um, for quite a few years now actually and um one of my all-time favorites sort of you know desert island top five uh graphic novels the 45 by andy ewington uh is one of theirs so um yeah enjoy this little nugget of eddie dayton first things first welcome to the show thank you very much i'd um i'd offer you a slice of cake because that's kind of my shtick but since it's the internet i don't think that would work i don't think we're quite there yet so the virtual cake yeah exactly yeah, virtual slice of birthday cake so for those people who don't know uh your good self i will have done a wee introduction that i've recorded like separately from you so i don't embarrass myself okay. but do you want to just uh, do a quick explanation of uh of what comx is and what it does and what your part in it is well um <clears throat> i guess you would call me the editor-in-chief of the company comx has been going now since the year 2000 believe it or not and um we are probably 
one of the most innovative original British comic publishers out there, I'd like to think, independent comic publishers anyway. And we've released um, all kinds of um, different sort of uh, diff- different products, everything from Class Law, Bazooka Jewels in the early days, uh, Razor Jack with John Higgins, uh, right through to 45 with Andy Ewington, Blue Spear, uh, New One Babble that we've got out, and um, Monster Miss, and the whole slew of, slew of, um, slew of books that we've had out. And, uh, you know, each year we're kind of going from strength to strength and we're releasing more and more books uh, or more frequent books, I should say. And, um, you know, we're still as uh, strong and healthy as ever. So how did you guys come to, to form comics in the first place? It was, it was purely a love of comics, really, and the desire to see our own content out in the marketplace. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a design and advertising company with uh, a business partner called Russ Utley. And um, we met up with Neil Googe, who actually came in for a job as a graphic designer with us. And we saw this kind of really cool comic work that we had. And we said to him, you know, we, we've got to kind of try and work together on something. And we were fortunate enough to have uh, one of our clients was Konami, the computer game publisher. And we talked to them about doing a Silent Hill graphic novel. And we started work on that uh, to start with. And then the relationship gradually evolved into myself, Russell and Neil saying, hey, why don't we set up a comic company and, you know, fund it with some of the profit that we were generating from the advertising company. And that's how comics was born. So in April 2000, we launched in uh, Bristol in I think it was I'm trying to think where it was in Bristol at the time. And uh, we we I think we launched with Bazooka Jewels. We had Razor Jack and Puncture. They were our first three books. And, and then we, we launched uh, Class War, which was very successful for us. And the company just kind of evolved from there, really. Uh, Neil went off and started work with DC and Wildstorm. And Russ and myself sort of went our separate ways with the design agency back in about 2006, 2007. Um, I still retained a passion for comics and decided to carry on with my business partner, Benjamin Sharabani, who is um, he's the our film producer and represents the company out in uh, Los Angeles. And there's myself and Ben now and our other business partner, John Sloan, who is a marketing director. And uh, he kind of he's responsible for, you know, the kind of the marketing direction of the books. Ben does all the kind of uh, PR and the film production side. And I handle the graphics and the color design and the lettering and the editing of the books. So it kind of works really well. We've got a really good team. In terms of um, sort of indie publishers, it, it, I suppose it's really difficult in the comics market if you're not sort of part of Marvel and DC to, to sort of sell yourselves. Have you found that it's been a challenge or? Uh, it, yes, it has. I mean, it's still, you know, even even you know, sort of 12, 13 years later, it's still very, very hard to... Um, get the recognition for yourself um, or for your books, even even if, I mean, you know, we've, we've, we've had some amazing scores and uh, reviews for our books, but it's still a struggle to, you know, to get uh, the, the retail sector to take on board your, your stock when they have the opportunity to sell titles or greater quantities of titles from Marvel and DC. Um, but, you know, we, we, we try and do as much as we can with the budgets and the, the skill sets that we have. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I, I think, you know, we are 
fairly successful as as a small publisher in terms of the you know the the accolade and the respect that we get. And there's always room for manoeuvre, but I think you know the opportunities you know to to promote yourself are becoming greater and wider thanks to you know things like the internet and thanks to podcasts like this, where you know you get a you know there's the more effort you're prepared to put in, I think the more effort you get back. And I think it's it's a great communication tool and you can speak to everybody on a on a global basis now and not just through the medium of print or you know the medium of radio. I think there's a, a lot more opportunities out there for independent publishers to to get their work known. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it can be done a lot more cost effectively than it used to. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, like, um, for me, I always struggle with buying independent titles simply because I don't have an awful lot of money. So I have to be really convinced. But the stuff that I've read from comics, like, because I've been burned by a lot of uh, independent stuff. Like, I'll go to cons and pick something up because it looks good and then get it home and think, ugh, what a waste of my time. <laughs> but, um <laughs> I mean, I was saying to Andy the other day, and I, I didn't mean to sound like I was uh, doing a little bit of brown nosing, but it probably did. But like the for, the forty five is the only trade that I've ever read more than twice. Really? Um, and, yeah. And uh, and Blue Spear actually, I read that twice as well. I think. So do you do you sort of tend to lean towards? things that are a little bit riskily different because I, I imagine the 45 was probably a big a bigger undertaking given the the amount of artists involved and the and the weird way that it was sort of set out and presented yeah yeah I, I think yeah I think it's you know I, I've I've come from I've grown up with comics you know um I was collecting since about the age of six or seven it's always been part of my hobby or my culture. And, you know, it, so I come I come at this from the perspective of, of a fan. You know, I always want to publish books that I find are original and that excite me um, as, as an individual and, and things that I'd want to pick up. And, uh, and I really appreciate you saying that, you know, you feel that we publish quality uh, quality books because I've always wanted the Comex brand to be synonymous with production, high production qualities, and also you know original storylines. And I think you know there are still new ways to tell horror stories, superhero stories, um, you know science fiction stories. Uh, and what I try and look at, and what we as as a company look at when people bring ideas to us is, do do we feel they're original? Do they have something new to say to the marketplace? So you know if 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 those those pitches do tick all the boxes, then you know we kind of know when we're onto something. It's kind of like a gut reaction feel, mm-hmm. uh, feeling to things, and um, do genuinely sort of you know uh, take an interest in what we're publishing. It's not just about uh, quantity. Um, you know, we're a, we're a small company that really does exist on very very tiny budgets and uh, and turnover. So for us, it's important that everything we we put out has to hit the spot, and it has to be you know a four, four and a half, five out of five, you know five stars, etc. When when people review it, because we, we can't afford to put out anything below that kind of quality, because we just don't have the budgets to do that. It's it's very easy when you've got um, larger companies and more titles to maybe you know miss with a couple of them, but we we don't have that opportunity. So, you know, every time we look at a project, you know, it, it has to excite us um, and move us personally before we even consider publishing it. Have you found that the rise of digital comics has affected the, the way that you've been working at all? Not really. Um, the, the digital publishing platform has 
um, assisted us in that what we can essentially do is once we've created something for print, you know, the, the digital medium can very easily be adapted and, you know, and uploaded for people to read as a digital device. And um, that that's helped a lot because it means that there are there, there is that sort of part of the um, the industry and part of the readership that will only read digital formats. And you know, some people have maybe not read comics for the last decade or or, or twenty years, and you know, they've kind of embraced handheld devices and you know um, the digital platform and decided to start reading comics again and it's great that it's it's actually managed to it's allowed us to sell more units and you know it hasn't costed us anything else to or anything more to to adapt those those pdfs um for the digital platform so it's kind of helped in that it's generated more sales for us even though there's still you know a, a tiny percentage of what we sell on the print side it has allowed us to sell more units to a more diverse range of people. Oh, that's good, because you tend to hear a lot of people bemoaning digital stuff, (laughs) Um, (laughs) probably mostly because of the whole piracy aspect, I guess. I mean, I I would imagine it's really difficult to to stay on top of preventing that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, currently we're actually working on um, our own kind of downloadable content and our own platforms um, internally with with the small sort of design team that I have here but uh, you know we, we tend to publish through the reputable avenues you know comicsology iverse uh, graphically and um, you know they they then take our our content and upload it to their own publishing platform so we haven't you know kind of ventured into the generic sort of public domain as such but I think you know the, the bottom line is that if someone's going to pirate something um, and download it illegally, they're going to do that anyway, and they're not the sort of person that's going to go out and pay for a printed book um, in the first place. I don't think. I think the markets are completely different. Those type of people will never pay for anything. You know, they're never going to pay for their music. They're never going to pay for their films. So, I think that's a that's a small percentage of people compared to the people that do respect the the, the industry and. I think as long as you price your books at the right price, then there's no reason why people won't support you. Um, you know, for, for instance, if you look at our, our books on Comixology and on uh, Comics Plus on the iVerse platform, we've tried to price them very, very economically so that you can have the opportunity to download quite a few pages of hopefully good quality content um, for, for quite a reasonable price. Mm-hmm. You were saying earlier that um, Ben is based in LA, was it? That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Does that mean that you uh, that you sell over in the US and stuff as well? Absolutely. Yeah. We the, the main bulk of our our books are distributed by Diamond, and um, you know our I guess our our units are fairly respectable for an independent publisher, and because we do produce good quality printing as well, I think you know that there is a certain level of trust from retailers, so we do have you know a reasonable amount of orders from from both the US and the UK, which enables us to distribute through Diamond. And uh, they, they get, you know, they get uh, sent right across North America. Um, we, we get orders from Holland, from France, from Brazil sometimes. Um, but because Diamond are, are our primary distributor, um, obviously that enables us to get our, our content out and our books out to, to the US market as well. Do you find that the US market is much different to the, the UK? 
only in that we still see quite a major difference in the percentage of books we sell to them compared to the UK. Um, surprisingly, you know, being a UK publisher, we would we would hope hope to have a little bit more support from the UK retail sector, but we we find that the US are actually it's quite a healthy percentage compared to the UK, um, quite a substantial um, you know percentage as well. So it's uh, we don't see that much difference in um, in in terms of the you know their perception of us. Um, but there is actually a healthy ordering from the US compared to the UK. Cool. So in terms of uh, for people who haven't read any stuff by you, what would be the the one thing you would recommend that people sort out? Ooh, oh, my word. Um, <laughs> I, won't, I won't play this to anybody who's written for you. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think two – can I say two? Can I say Go on two? then. I'll let you. Okay. Uh, two great examples of – redefining the genre i believe are class war and 45 and i think if you really want a a grasp of what we do and how we do it and how we do it better than anybody else you should read class war and you should read 45 i'm slightly embarrassed to say i've never read class war Ah oh, well, well, we'll change that. I'll get you a copy. <laughs> oh, thank. That wasn't me fishing for a copy. <laughs> there, are, there are very, very few left, actually. Um, there are. This is the, the mad thing about what we we publish. Obviously, once we fulfilled our our orders to Diamond, we we do over order, uh, uh, over print on what we do, but. Um, we we will always sell out of our books, and it's amazing because you know. So maybe five, six years after we've actually published something, we'll still be getting orders through. And unfortunately, we can't fulfill them because we don't have the stock. Um, so every book we put out will literally sell out, which is pretty amazing. A um, little bit frustrating because, you know, it'd be great if we could plan ahead and order more, you know, when we when we first um, receive the orders through from retail. But um, it, um, I, I'm, I'm proud to say that pretty much every book that we've published has sold out, and we've got very few stock, uh, few copies left. So that there wouldn't be much point in me asking you where people can get things. <laughs> <laughs> the best best place for the old the older titles is uh, probably eBay, I guess. Uh, I mean, we literally hold on to maybe four or five copies of each book that we've ever published in our archive, but that is pretty much it. You know, it's. Uh, it's it's kind of again frustrating and a little bit sad but you know we we you know it's nice to know that there's a lot of people out there enjoying our books can people still get a hold of them digitally or is that's yeah that's the joy of the digital platform actually mm-hmm. is that you can still find most of it well in fact all of our books um on the, on the digital platform so comicsology and comics plus are the, the main two that that hold our our books and you can go back and actually find um, all, pretty much all the back issues with the exception of a few things. And um, obviously what we do as well is um, we offer the first issue of each series free on, on both those platforms. So, you know, just as a little uh, taster of t- as to what, what, they're, what they're about. Well, that's good. I've always wondered whether, like, if comics would sell more if they did things like that, like a free little taste. Yeah. You know, kind of like Free Comic Book Day, but more often and better things, because a lot of the stuff on Free Comic Book Day is kind of pointless. But <laughs> 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 I remember the last time I got one of those, and I'm sure I got like a prelude to Blackest Night, which was basically irrelevant, and I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. sad face. <laughs> we, um, we, we, the way we look at it is, 
if our books are out in the you know in the marketplace and you know we want people to read one of our books and enjoy it and then hopefully go out and buy another book just because they enjoyed enjoyed something you know, the, the first one then then that's great you know so we'd rather our books were out there um in the public domain and people were reading them and recommending them and maybe buying you know the, the new book that comes out because they enjoyed the last one that's that's what it's all about for us so it's it's about the exposure it's about getting your your your, your publishing out there and letting people know it's around. Well, like I said before, I've been burnt by independent comics before, and if I could have a wee taste beforehand, because like I say, my money is sparse, and if I could have have a wee taste beforehand, I probably wouldn't have wasted so much on stuff that I didn't like and could have bought other things that were probably better. <laughs> this is the problem with cons. I tend to get like lured in by anybody who's drawn a panda on something. Um, because I remember that for our uh, variant cover on the uh, on the. Yeah books <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's got a panda on it i'll buy it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a unicorn slash narwhal depending on how i'm feeling oh, but, right. <laughs> um that's that's kind of irrelevant so in terms of the future then what stuff have you got coming out fairly soon that we can all look forward to uh, well, obviously, we've just had Babel um, released to you know critical acclaim, which is fantastic. We're really pleased for Brian and Lee who worked on that. Um, I've literally today just finished the the first draft of the Duppy seventy eight graphic novel lettering, um, which is off with the creators at the moment. Um, so we're hoping that's going to be finished within the next month, and then that'll be released hopefully by around about June this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, then coming up after that, we have Bushido Wasabi, uh, which is, again, looking very interesting and very different to anything we've done before. And uh, Average Joe, which, again, is really it's a really cool twist on the superhero genre. And, um, you know, we're, we're prepping for that. And we've had all the inks in at the moment. So we're, we're down to... We're working on the colouring, and uh, it's just looking great. I mean, some of the the crowd scenes and the fight scenes in this thing are just insane. Uh, Stephen, who's been the uh, the the artist on it, he's he's just these they're just incredible. It's just like you know, like something out of a you know a, a Hitch book, you know Brian Hitch book. It's just mm. it, it, there are so many fights and crowds and you know superheroes doing things. It's it's immense. Um, and this is why it's taken a little bit longer than we expected for it to uh, to come to fruition. But it's it's looking great. So we've we've definitely got three really different, unique titles coming up, and they're all very different to anything we've done before. So you're not going to not going to find the same sort of subject matter in in our books. And um, you know, hopefully after that, we've got a few surprises up our sleeve, and possibly a Kickstarter project or two. But we'll we'll see how it. Oh, hello. Hello. Oh, you just fell off, uh, fell off my Skype for a minute there, but <laughs> oh, <laughs> I seem to have you back, which is good. Well, the, pretty much the last thing I was going to ask them was uh, if you've got any sort of appearances coming up. But as we discussed just before we started recording, I guess that's like a no at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, every convention this year so far that we've wanted to be involved with, um, we've either been away or there's been a personal personal business or something like that on but we're still very very keen to uh, make at least a couple of appearances this year um, I won't obviously commit verbally to anything because we're not quite sure what they will be and we we definitely want to do at least one or two UK conventions and possibly Ireland as well 
and um, sorry, that is in the UK, but uh, say <laughs> English conventions and uh, and Irish conventions, and then probably one in America, but we're not quite sure what that's going to be. It's not going to be San Diego this year, but we're looking at maybe other 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 ventures instead. Oh, that sounds exciting. I'd love to go to a convention in America, but I think it might just boggle my mind a bit too much. <laughs> yeah. considering it's, the fact that i felt like bristol was overcrowded the first time i went <laughs> uh, yeah you'd uh, i think you'd find san diego even even new york a bit mad they they're, they're great shows they really are good shows but uh you know after about the second day you know you just you, you just feel kind of wasted from the whole the whole experience well it's been absolutely delightful having you on the show thank you for joining me for my birthday episode yeah, well, happy birthday um thank and, uh, you Thank you for all your, uh, all your support so far, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy all the other books we've got coming up. <laughs> yeah, if you never hear from me again, <laughs> we know I hated them all. That's not likely, but you know. Well, thank you for taking your, your time out of your day to talk to little old me. Yeah, no, it's uh, my pleasure, Stacey. It's me again. Uh, this time I'm just here to talk to you about the music that you're hearing throughout this episode. I'm always banging on about how I want to talk more about music because I don't do it very often and this is supposedly a giant umbrella of pop culture that I'm talking about here. So um, basically the uh, the music you'll be hearing is mostly going to be coming from Frightened Rabbit who are uh, a band that I believe are Scottish but I've probably just made a twat of myself because they're probably not and I'm probably going to look it up on Google right now and edit this seamlessly. Oh well you look at that, they are indeed Scottish, brilliant. Yeah, they're a band that I've seen a couple of times at festivals over the past couple of years and never, you know, I've enjoyed it, but I've never really sought out much more by them. But I happened to go to a gig last night, which by the time this podcast comes out, it's probably about a week or so ago, uh, because a friend had a spare ticket and they fucking knocked my socks off. They are ludicrous good, like ridiculous live. It's almost scary. One of them frightens me slightly because he looks a little bit like a, a scary sort of sex offender version of Jarvis Cocker which is a little bit frightening but he knows how to slap the bass doesn't he so that's what I'm starting to think he might have been a guitarist either way he knows how to play so I thought you know what it's a special episode I'll just use uh, all of their music in between stuff well not all of their music obviously they've got like three albums but yeah so uh, I hope you're enjoying the uh, the little frightened rabbit nuggets that you'll be getting throughout this uh, this episode so I think it's probably about time we rolled on to the next interview as I mentioned before, uh, one of my favourite tippity-top comics of all time is The 45 by Andy Ewington. If you haven't read it, well, you know, clearly you do, Lally, because it's fucking brilliant, and that's not even close to how amazing it is. Like, there are no words to explain how brilliant it is. It's set in the format of 45 interviews with superheroes, or people with powers, I should say. Um, and it's basically set up so that the interview is a transcript on the one side of the page, and the other side of the page is either a pin-up or a actual comic strip. By, and it's 
different artists for uh, for each interview. Um, I mean, there's some absolutely cracking work in there, and and the stories that that Andy tells uh, through each of the characters and the overall arc of it is just sublime. So if you haven't read it, go and read it now. Well, not now. Like what you should do now is listen to this interview I'm about to do with him, and that maybe he can sell it for you even more. <laughs> Here's Andy Ewington and me having a wee chat. Welcome to the show. Thank you. That's Good to right. be on. Oh, I'm so I'm so happy that people actually said yes when I pitched the idea of interviews because I thought I don't know what the fuck else I'm going to do. <laughs> Everybody says no. No, I love interviews. They're, they're, they're the greatest thing in the world. I hate them actually. Well, no, I, I really do hate them. <laughs> Just, well, I, I was just going to say, you haven't been interviewed by me, so, you know, that could just improve you. We, we had, well, true. No, many, many years ago, we, we did a, we've, um, is, we, we did a, an interview together. I don't think that counts, though, because Iz is much better than me. So, uh, you know, there's, there's probably going to be a, a, we just don't expect that level of professionalism, is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, duly noted. <laughs> Oh dear, um, I'm really not selling myself here, am I? But you know, <laughs> thanks for coming on. So uh, yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing I wanted to say, which is not actually a question, it's just uh, me having a bit of a, a rave, is thanks for Blue Spear because it's the tits. I got that last year. I think it was it last year that that came. God, that seems like yeah, a long yeah. time ago. February last year. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah, but it was totally the tits. I think I reviewed it actually on the show. So you I know, and I. I did say I liked it. That's all right. That's all right. You keep writing good things, and I'll keep saying slightly inappropriately good things about them. No, no, no pressure then. (laughs) No pressure. Just don't be shit ever. I'll try not to be. Okay, good. (laughs) So, for those that don't know, Blue Spear came sort of spinning off from your debut of the forty-five, which was twenty ten. Yes, questioningly. So you're asking me things that were sort of years ago. I I I struggle with anything that was two weeks ago. So. You could say anything that that happened years ago, and I'll just probably go, "Yeah, sounds about right." Fair enough. I'll just shall I just make it all up then, and we'll just yeah. with it. Okay, yeah, cool. That sounds good. <laughs> so, for those um, sort of mental people who haven't read Forty Five uh, or clearly haven't listened to me uh, ever do an episode of anything because I'm always raving about it, do you want to have a, a bit of an explain of what that was? <laughs> yep. Um, very quickly, it was a, a series of superhero interviews. Um, set well to undertaken by a journalist who was going to be a father to be set in a world where superheroes um, or super babies can be born to just normal people um, so he interviews a whole heap of different characters all the way through a chronological order from start all the way through to a death and on the way he sort of uncovers a nefarious plot um, which uh, leads him into sort of trepidation and danger uh, along the way and um, it was called 45 um, for various reasons but one of them because we had uh, 45 different um, artists contributing just one page uh, that sort of ran parallel to the transcripts that um, I wrote. That sounds like it would be ludicrously difficult to organise. Yeah it was quite daunting. I mean, I had a lot of help, obviously, from comics and um, Ed and and Ben. Um, I mean, they knew uh, the artists. I mean, it was a debut comic, so um, it was it was all new to me, and uh, they were invaluable with their advice as to who to approach. And really, once I got a couple of the guys like uh, Trevor Hairside on board and Liam uh, Sharp, um, it it made my life a little bit easier. I just had to wait 
for people to come available. I didn't realise exactly how long it took and that they were busy on other things. I, I, just, I just naturally assumed that, yeah, they'll be waiting around for somebody like me to go, yeah, can you just do one page, just one page, you know? <laughs> so um, was there anybody in particular that you really wanted to approach but, but couldn't get for um, any reason? You know, I, I, I did the, the obvious things where you got to remember that I, I came from a, a background that pretty much I, I was didn't know anything about comics um, to a greater or lesser lesser degree. So I, I went for the obvious people like Jim Lee. You know, uh, let's get Jim Lee doing it. <laughs> Little did I know <laughs> that um, perhaps the rung should be um, slightly adjusted um, in terms of what what I could afford and and people who are actually going to be interested in this. Um, and um, I, I realised that um, I needed to be a little bit more realistic with, with my sort of aims. But, um, you know, otherwise there was never really anybody that I, I said, I must have those because I, I just didn't know. I just would talk to Ed and Ed would go, what about Charlie Adlard? And, uh, you know, I didn't know his background um, at that time. Obviously now, yeah, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm up to speed. So, you know, don't hate me anymore. <laughs> I don't think anybody hates you. I think that's okay. They, they've forgiven me, perhaps. <laughs> um, so, Blue Spear was the first spin-off from... Oh, God, I can't even form sentences. What's wrong with me? 45. <laughs> yeah, well done. Oh, thank you. It's a good It's a good job one of us is, uh, is mentally here, isn't it? Are there, are there plans for any more? There are. I mean, obviously... Uh, well, not obviously, but you, got, you may or may not be aware that it was always planned to be a sort of like a Trinity spin-off. Mm-hmm. Um, X follows Blue Spear, and then Skyline follows X. X is written, but as ever, funding and and real life kind of sits in the way of of actually doing what you want to do. So, at the moment, you know, we, I'm just sort of biding my time and just seeing if funds become available to to actually get the rest of the well, the Trinity finished. Um, so yeah, in the long term, it will definitely be done. Short term, uh, you know, it, it, it's not going to happen um, this side of 2014, I would have thought. So, maybe, you know, maybe maybe later. So are you planning to get um, Skyline sort of written as well so that you can bust them out pretty fast or yeah, I mean, how X does? <laughs> well, you know, it, I don't think it really matters how it does because I just want to get it done because mm-hmm. the story's there. And, and for me, I kind of it, – it needs to be said – and needs to be sort of completed. So it will always be done. I just don't know when it will be done. And certainly if the funds become available so that both could be done sort of simultaneously, then great. Um, I mean, Skyline, the beat sheet is done. Uh, I know how it all ends. And, you know, I've, I've worked with Ed on the actual sort of story arc and everything, because obviously he's co-writing it with me. So, you know, we're, we're happy with where it is. But um, like I say, just got to get a, a, a little bit more dosh in the bank. <laughs> Isn't that always the way? <laughs> so annoying. With this this trinity of comics, given the fact that there were 45 sort of potential stories you could tell, was was there a reason you chose the three that you chose? Um, I think initially, gosh, we're going back now. You know, it's uh, like you say, it's been a little while since I've, I've written it. So it was like... Uh, Going back to, as I said, two weeks is usually how much I can remember. But, um, you know, Blue Spear was, was an interesting one when we were editing, Ed and I, and we realised that there was a potential sort of interest there with his sort of origins and how he could develop. And I always had this idea of trying to 
give you the answer to what was about what 45 was about the hidden meaning in there which there is and um that the trinity expands upon that so the actual reason why exodus are, are after everybody and sort of doing a, a a heavy recruitment program sort of leads into skyline so it there's a nice story arc in there and it was developing i would say at the time that um I was probably doing the edit with Ed that it just presented itself and I was like, yeah, that's that's what I want to do. And, and Eddie agreed that it was definitely the strongest by far uh, sort of little, little arc that would develop 45, whereas the other stories could potentially go off in different directions. I don't think it, it perhaps delved deeper into the Exodus meaning and, and the hidden messages in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so excited. I really want you to get X done like now, but... I can't fund you or anything because I've got about fifty p. <laughs> Will that do? I, I, I don't know how comics work. Does that? Does that... <laughs> you know, I had a thought on the way home that I might just get like gummy bears and just take photos <laughs> of gummy bears and in the poses that I want it to be and just do it. To, yeah. I would love that. I would totally buy that. Oh, yeah, I may do it as a pet project. <laughs> oh well, you know, sign me up for a review copy of that one because I'll be there. Brilliant. So to bring it up a, a bit more up to date, you know, considering both of our memories are failing us, currently you're working on, or well, I say working on, I mean, how close to completion is Overrun? I would say projected timings is sometime around September. I've got to get it lettered as well. Um, Paul is um, fighting his way through the colours, so all the inks are finished, and Matt Woodley and myself are really sort of excited by the colours that we're getting. You may have seen a few pages here and there. But yeah, he's he's doing a really fra- uh, fantastic job on that. So I would imagine around September we would may have a completed comic. Um, oh, just around time for our birthdays. Well, exactly. You see. How lovely. Exactly. See, it was forward planning. I always knew. <laughs> I like to think that people plan things for my birthday. It's probably not true, but. <laughs> when is your birthday? September nineteenth. I'm, I'm September the twenty sixth. Oh, see, all the best people are born in September. Exactly. Exactly. There's like but me and you and Twiggy. I mean, <laughs> I can't remember who's actually born on my birthday. Uh, Hermione Granger's born on my birthday. Is she? Yeah. Oh, I'll have to Google it later now to find out. <laughs> Just to go back to um, Overrun, because um, as much as I'd like to continue to talk about my birthday and how great I am, this is. Uh, <laughs> an interview with you so for those that are, again those that don't really know what's going on what's what's the story of overrun it's a well i think it's been dubbed tron of the dead and i think that's a pretty pretty good uh, log line for it it is basically a, a computer world not like tron very much like our own and where jpegs and things like um excel files they're all sort of personified so so jpegs have Normal, normal people with t-shirts with pictures on them and uh, excel spreadsheets are very much sort of uh, checkered shirts uh, looking like accountants mm-hmm. and we've got this hero that's um introduced he, he's on an email train being um uh, coming into the city and he doesn't remember anything and uh, he unwittingly sort of unleashes a virus um into the city which um, then obviously starts to take hold in sort of like a, the Walking Dead sort of style and sort of infecting it, all the files. And it takes a, a ragtag bunch of rejected and forgotten sort of computer game characters to sort of 
come to the city's aid and try and uh, stave off this uh, invasion and this threat. So, yeah, it, it's got a sort of, I guess, Racket Ralph um, has echoes of that. Um, I was actually, I mean, it, it's going to sound weird, but I, I kind of had written it before I even knew about Pixar's um, a sort of uh, adaptation or version. So um, it was interesting to see somebody had the right, same sort of idea, mm-hmm. um, but it is very different. I mean, it's more adult-orientated, um, what I've written, whereas they're obviously gone kid-friendly. As a writer, is it really like difficult to come up with an idea and be sure that it's original? <laughs> do, you, do you spend a lot of time Googling ideas that you've had just in case? Um, you kind of... You do to a degree. I think there are elements, it doesn't matter what you come up with nowadays, it's really hard to come up with something completely original. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 45 was original in the way that it approached it but uh, and, and did sort of, I guess, transcript accounts, but it, it wasn't, it's still a superhero story at the end of the day. Um, and obviously Overrun has echoes of Matrix and Tron, and um, uh, Racket Ralph. So it, it is hard to get or, or be sure that your idea is completely original. Um, and I guess sometimes you just got to go, you know what, it's original, it's original characters. I haven't, I haven't ripped off somebody else's idea. I'm going to just have to trust my judgment that this is as, as original as I can hope it can be. Mm-hmm. And that it's original enough to still be worth telling. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think you know in yourself if you do something, you go, well, actually, this is just a blatant ripoff of The Walking Dead or, you know, Romeo and Juliet. I mean, a lot of stories will borrow from other stories. I mean, Star Wars borrows from Greek mythology like anything. So Mm -hmm. you kind of, you just have to accept there will be a level that people will always draw comparisons to. But as long as you know in yourself that you you created it from an original source, then uh, I think you're you're going to be true to yourself. Have you seen Wreck-It Ralph then? I haven't. I really want oh, to. Oh, you should. It's really good. <laughs> I want to take my little boy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to. With kids, you just kind of, your time disappears. So we haven't had a chance to um, go to the cinema together yet. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. I, um, I've got an absolute obsession with one of the guys who does the voice acting in it. He played Kenneth in 30 Rock. And I was like, oh, because they ended 30 Rock and then that. Wreck-It Ralph came out and that placated me somewhat for a moment there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit weird like that. No. That um, overrun, by the way, sounds kind of brilliant. Well, thank you. I hope it is. <sighs> Look at you. You might as well just take my wallet and have everything inside of it because you're just being quite rude. Well, it's it, good stuff. You could, the, the length of time I'm taking to actually do the next comic, you'll, you'll, you'll have plenty of time to save for it. <laughs> is this the 12 or...? Uh, yeah, well, 12 is um, the next one. I've got to try and find an artist and, and as ever, try and find some funding. But um, I, I've just actually uh, signed to a, a manager in La La Land. So um, he's going to take it out. Um, he's a guy called, called um, Jim Strader. Mm-hmm. So he worked on or put together the 30 Days of Night um, and some other... Uh, Men in Black, I think, as well. Mm. So he he has got high hopes for the twelve. Actually, he he pretty much is taking it out to uh, the guys and producers over in Hollywood, and, and hopefully somebody will take a bit of a, a shine to it, and perhaps we can backward 
fund it so that I can then get the comic made. So that's that's the next plan. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is the twelve is about a sort of superhero-y ghost thing bound to ta- tattoos. Yeah, I, I I really like stuff like the Grudge and the Ring and uh, you know and um, sort of Japanese mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of came up with this idea that uh, an East meets West sort of superhero ghost story, <laughs> which has got <laughs> lots of mixtures. But it is a, an English guy that unwittingly, on his travels, um, gets tattooed with these ghosts, um, each one locked into a tattoo. Uh, and he's got them all over his body. And um, each each one of these uh, tattoos holds this, this sort of hideous ghost, a bit like the ring ghost. And I think there's a headless corpse that rips off heads of its victims <laughs> and stuff. Lovely. So, yeah, there's, there's some really good gruesome ghosts in, in uh, Japanese uh, folklore. So, um, and and he's got half of them, and the other half uh, have been uh, obtained by this sort of ambitious yakuza um, who's been skinning his victims. So he's got like and, and grafting them onto his own body. So there's a real nasty <coughs> sort of um, image of this guy with lots of patchwork skin all over his body that's uh, going after our hero, and and. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a good, a good 120 page adventure, um, with plenty of, of sort of nasty shocks and things. So, uh, and I, I, it's my first sort of attempt at horror as well. I kind of kind of enjoy that. It's a, it's a dark side to me. <laughs> well, looking at some of the concept art that you've been posting on your blog, it's looking like that's going to be pretty top tits and all. So. I hope so. I mean, it's, I mean, I really appreciate um, you know, like Kev Crosley and Charlie Adlard and um, Adriano uh, Batista and, and Ben Oliver, you know, pulling out and, and and actually managed to do all these pages for us. It really will help sell the concept, and each of them have sort of captured a, an element of it, which uh, is is always the essence and always the difficult thing when, especially when you're, you're doing it just as one piece and, and not actually sitting there and doing the entire comic so um, you know hats off to them and hopefully a few maybe a year down the line we might actually start getting something done properly and would that be through comics again or um i don't know you know it, it, it's i'm not saying yes i'm not saying no i kind of it's the same for overrun we I, i'm not i haven't decided especially with matt on overrun you know that's a joint uh, decision mm-hmm. um i haven't decided what we're going to do the market's really weird at the moment and certainly doesn't favor um the independence Mm -hmm. so the question is the you know a publisher has certainly got a value but ultimately is is there just as much um return if um you do it yourself so we're just looking at everything you know Mm -hmm. to to go in with it with publishers like comics and, and boom and, and, and get and titan and guys like that to saying well you know if they're not interested do we do it ourselves because obviously I, I, I want to produce comics but uh, you know the reality of the, of the situation may only present itself to to go digital or something so we're a long way away from from being um sort of final and making a, a final decision yet are you a fan of digital comics i i, I do enjoy them for what they are I haven't, I haven't um, purchased any, and that's purely because I, I, I actually like a physical comic. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I, I like to get a signature and 
maybe a little sketch in there and stuff. And you can't really do that. Well, you can't do that with digital unless you want it. <laughs> Draw on my iPad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It can lead to a few sort of gasps and shocks as, as somebody actually does it. But um, I, I certainly, I, it has its place. And if I was going away and, and on a long trip or whatever and I wanted to just get on and read some comics, I certainly would put it on an iPad. But um, I don't know. It, it's, I, I don't read enough. I'm, I'm writing too much. Um, that's my problem. So um, I, I, I am a fan of it, and I appreciate what it is. But I wouldn't say I'm I'm sort of buying enough to pass judgment. Mm-hmm. I'm probably the same. I mean, I'm I like a physical copy of stuff for the for the same reasons. I like the way they look on my shelf. I like to take them to cons and get people to sign or doodle in them. But at the same time, I've only got so many shelves. <laughs> it's like for ease of space it's great to just have them on an ipad or whatnot yeah i mean that i could certainly if you could see my shelf at the moment i have reached that point where the missus is looking at it going that shelf is going to fall soon and i i i have started to osmose to other shelves and i can see how quickly over the years you you just it's like cds you know we've got a whole load of cds stacked up on a case somewhere but ultimately who we don't, you know, I haven't bought a physical CD for yonks. No, me neither. Uh, so, yeah, they do take up space, but they are so beautiful. They are beautiful. The only other problem I have, though, as well, is that I find it really difficult to ever reread any because all of my shelves are not only full of, like, trades and beautiful things, but any available bit of them is also covered in action figures. So <sighs> unless you want to spend about 25 minutes taking off, you know, 13 different Ninja Turtle figures just to yeah. get to a book, which I very rarely want to do because they're really hard to stand back up again. See, I, I've got a similar problem. I've got a cups. I've got lots of cups that are in the way of the books. And on top of the books, I've got more books. I've got a load of fighting fantasy books that are sitting on top. And I know that if I start taking two of those books out, the whole thing will... I've even got a tin of Quality Street Lego, uh, <laughs> Star Wars Lego that are off bits from an Atat Walker that I couldn't work out where the other bits went. Um, and they're just sitting in a quality tin, so that's sitting on top of the book. So I just know the whole thing probably balanced by this one comic. And if I if I take the wrong comic out, it'll be like a plunk. The whole lot will just fall down. It's like trades Jenga. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Uh, that caused a lot of damage as well, the height that it's at. I can imagine. I've got to say, though, and this is, you know, not trying to sound all brown-nosy, crawly, bumlick, but the only com- the only trade that I have that is really easy for me to get off my shelf is the 45, because it's the, one that, the only one that I've read more than twice. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. I think it's a true fact as well. That's not that's not embellished lies to make me seem good. So <laughs> makes you sound very good. In fact, people, go and buy it now. Is it still available around places? <laughs> eBay, I think that's probably the only place you're going to find it. But you can find it in the digital version. So uh, definitely uh, you can pick it up on kin- uh, Kindle or uh, iPad. I um, I was making it my mission for a while to try and get a signature from every artist in it. Uh, and then I kept either forgetting to take it places or leaving it in the hotel room when I took it to cons, which is <laughs> stupid. You just reminded me because I'm going to um, the London Supercon on Sunday, so I'm going to take mine along in case I bump into somebody that hasn't signed it. <laughs> How many signatures are you from having a full book? <laughs> uh, I'm still a good probably 20, 20 or so away. Oh, you're doing better than me. I think I've got about six. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you signed it in, in Cardiff, didn't you? That's uh, right, yeah. yeah. Okay, came down. I seem to remember. Back in the day. I haven't been to Cardiff for yonks. I need to go there again. Yeah, I do miss it. 
I can't go this year. I'm going to go next year. I am. Um, I, I think the only con I'm going to be doing this year is probably Thought Bubble if I can afford it. So, but I really uh, like it there. We, we're hoping, um, Anne and I, that um, Paul will be finished on uh, Overrun by then, and we may take some limited copies up with us. Ooh. At least. I have to pounce on you for one of those then. Mm. That's pretty much all I wanted to talk about. I mean, the, the only other thing that I was going to mention was the fact that you've sort of you've done Blue Spear, which <laughs> I realise I didn't even slightly try and synopsis size or whatever the word is uh, it for people who haven't read it. So I'm just going to say just go and read it. But that's pretty heavy. Well, pretty heavily based in Japan. It's based in Japan, and then um, obviously you've gone back to that with the Twelve. Yeah. Is I take it you're a big fan of sort of Japanese culture and history. Yeah, uh, it's certainly one of those um, bucket wish lists, you know, destinations that I want to go to. I've got a few friends, um, Japanese friends and, and stuff like that, and, and I kind of really dig the whole vibe over there. Um, certainly would love to be lost in translation over there. Japan and Canada are my two places that I want to go before I pop my clogs. I am. Um... Canada's cool. I, I really like to uh, go along the, you know, see polar bears and, and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, I de- Japan as well. I think is somewhere I definitely should go, considering the fact that I used to I used to study it until I couldn't afford to go anymore. So it'd be great to just like wander along and say random things that I know how to say. <laughs> <laughs> I learned how to speak uh, Japanese, but um, it, it requires a lot of effort. And at the moment, the kids take up all my time. Mm-hmm. It's um that that I was really strange about it because you would think that I would be better at speaking it, but I was actually a lot better at writing Japanese, which is really weird because it's really hard. <laughs> I think I'm just not confident with my speaking because any any other language other than English in a brummy accent seems awful, <laughs> absolutely awful. I remember listening back to my uh, my GCSE French oral exam, uh, and it was like, "Je m'appelle Stacey, j'habite en Birmingham." <laughs> Absolutely the worst thing ever. I used to do it in an Essex way, so um, I, I, I sometimes hark back to my Essex roots. But um, I, I was pretty much the same, but the Essex version of, of that. I'd love to hear Essex Japanese. That'd be great. That, that, that would be fantastic, but I, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, don't don't try. <laughs> I'd offend too many people. Oh dear. On that note, last question then. If uh, if you could recommend any one title, you know, preferably not written by yourself because <laughs> toot in your own horn. Um, <laughs> if you could recommend any one title to all of my listeners, I say all of them. It's probably about four. Uh, what would it be? I think uh, Battle by uh, Lee Robson. Ooh. Now that's that's a comics thing, isn't it? I- it is. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> sticking with the the comics crowd, but. Um, um, it, it's a, a very good read, so I, I heartily recommend it. They do put out some good shoes too, comics. Uh, they only pick good stuff, so um, oh. I'm going to say that, obviously. But uh, no, um, <laughs> in truth, it, it is very good. And um, I, I know Lee's getting a lot, of, and um, Brian are getting a lot of uh, accolades at the moment, so I certainly recommend uh, picking up a copy. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I hope that wasn't too painful. No, it was, it was wonderful. Thank you. I'm sorry if I ummed and ahed. My missus always says, you um and are too much. But um, that, that's why I hate interviews. But um, I hope I wasn't too bad. No, no, it was fine. If anything, I have to spend probably a good double double the time it actually took to record the episode to, to edit out my own ums and ahs. So <laughs> I'm sure I can just snip out yours while I'm there. It'll be fine. Perfect. <laughs> 
Oh, thank you again for coming on, and uh, hopefully I'll get to see you at Thought Bubble, maybe, yeah. she says. Yeah. We'll have a beer. Yeah, good times. Well, maybe I'll have a wine, because, you know, I'm a lady. I've got to go for the crabbies then, because, you know, I'm, I'm not a proper guy guy. I can't do beer. I don't, and I'll tell you what I don't understand is non-alcoholic beer, because who wants to drink something that tastes the piss and isn't going to get you drunk? You might as well drink Coke. Exactly. Well, I'll um, I'll let you get back to your, you know, kids and stuff. Okay. <laughs> that's right. They're they're in bed now. It's now. I'm waiting for for my dinner to be cooked. So that's the next milestone. Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. Yeah, I haven't had dinner that's yet. Insanity. It is. I did put it off for you though. So there you go. Oh, bless you. Now I feel even worse for just rambling at you. <laughs> oh, On that bombshell. On that bombshell, I'm gonna let you go and eat some food. All right. You take care. See you soon. Lovely. Bye. Andy Ewington just in your ears. He's such a lovely guy and uh, I'm blat- if he's at Thought Bubble, which, well, <laughs> if I'm at Thought Bubble, uh, I'm blatantly going to have to sort of attack hug him at some point and get Rick Roaringly drunk with him, I hope. <laughs> so we're coming up to the last of the interviews now. Aww. It's been really fun doing all of these and, uh, and obviously uh, the next one was no exception. Uh, handsomest man in comics, the lovely Lee Gallagher, said that he would do an interview for me, which is delightful. I will freely admit that my knowledge of 2000 AD, which is where most of his work uh, sort of comes from, is incredibly lacking. So uh, if I've said anything incredibly stupid about 2000 AD related stuff, uh, I really really am sorry to those of you who are fans um, but I do really want to try and get into it so it's just it's like everything's just so fucking expensive it's ludicrous but yeah I mean I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to attack my friend the Hod who seems to be the king of 2000 AD and also handily lives in Birmingham and just like nick all his trades and stuff might actually ask him if he's got anything by Lee Gallagher so I can have a proper good look um, but anyway like oh, God, I'm so sick of hearing myself talk to myself it's kind of mental so uh so here's me and lee i do feel like though an audio podcast is uh is not the way to interview the, the most handsome man in comics <laughs> believe me that is really not the case right now like, every, anytime i'm on like a bad deadline like this 
my my hair care routine just goes out the window. It really <laughs> does. It's not pretty at all. Oh dear. I'll just stare lovingly at your little uh your little Skype icon then if that's okay. Okay then. Go for it. If that's all right, just yeah, into sure. its into its eyes. Um anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Stace, and congrats on the year anniversary. So your podcast is officially out of nappies now. I know. I'm quite amazed that it's got this far because my technical prowess is um shit basically. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we're, do- we're doing quite well she says fingers crossed so for those people who are like mental and don't know who you are who are you yeah like, okay. i know you as the most handsome man in comics however that's yeah that's not well, your official title well, is it? well it is kind of official it was <laughs> actually printed in 2008 in the credit box most handsome man in comics so that does make it official nice yeah uh but other than that um i i'm an artist for 2008 I draw, the main thing I draw for 2008 is a series called The Foe, but I've also drawn Judge Red and Aquila with Gordon Rennie, um, and now I'm back on The Foe now with Pat Mills. And Sweet. The Foe, for those who don't know, is actually a 17th century zombie hunter story. And right now I am drawing the third episode of the fifth book, which is called The Foe, The Damned, which is going to be out in June, I think. So it's that's tough. what I'm busy on right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm just I've just gotten over um, the deadline for the third one so that's why I'm feeling a little bit rough now it's always the way you see because usually I have about two and a half weeks to do each episode that's six pages and with the foe you see it's kind of I draw the foe differently to how I draw other series like Judge Dredd or Aquila because they're in call you see someone else calls them so I don't have to draw as much detail the foe I kind of curse myself for basically using a ridiculously detailed drawing style, which is like loads of cross hatching, just detail everywhere, just fully black and white. So it's not very deadline friendly, which is usually why I'm killing myself doing a couple of all nighters, two, three all nighters at the end of a deadline to get it done. That sounds actually bonkers. It is bonkers. And seriously, I hate myself so much for doing it. Really, it's not. And here's the thing, you see, because um, I say usually I have two and a half weeks to do each episode. Um, well, um, right now I've just given myself a new deadline starting with this episode. Uh, I try and get two weeks ahead of my schedule just so I can hopefully fit in a two-week working holiday in June. And I have tried, it's all on the calendar. I have no idea if it's possible. Um, I'm really hoping it is, but it's a great opportunity because a friend of mine has asked me to teach in her school in Jeju, which is a it's a honeymoon island in South Korea, and that would be that would be for two weeks. Yeah, that sounds and, amazing. Yeah, and if we go, um, I'll get to bring my wife as well, and basically it'll be like a extra honeymoon, I think. Oh, um, and you know what they've got there? I couldn't believe it. They have a they have a sex theme park. <laughs> An actual sex theme park. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I love how completely derailed this interview's gone already. Yeah, so we were supposed to be talking about comics, weren't we? <laughs> you've really put the song... Have you seen uh, Spinal Tap? Because you've put the song Sex Farm in my head now. <laughs> yeah, I do vaguely remember that one now. Yeah. Oh, dear. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, so yeah, let's get back on track. Let's, sorry, let's, let's just move away from the sex theme like, park. Completely my fault, sorry. Yeah, anyway, so yeah, I need to get two weeks ahead of my schedule, which means like probably like a lot of sacrifice and stuff like that over these next few months. I don't I, just, I don't know how I'm going to do it. 
I'm a bit worried. <laughs> I would imagine um, a lot of people think that being a writer or an artist and working from home is really easy. And I'm I'm beginning to see, after just these few interviews that I've done this week, that it's really not, is it? No, no, not at all. I mean, I mean yeah, you can watch, like, film. You can leave a film on in the background all day or something like that. And, you know, you don't have to get dressed, you know, which I don't most of the time. I don't usually get dressed until the wife arrives, like, around 6 o'clock. So... Yeah, but other than that, no, it, it's it's still good though. Um, but I don't know. It's, I mean, sometimes you do kind of miss like the human contact element of it and stuff. Mm. But no, I'm I'm kind of used to it now. It used to get to me years ago. It used to get to me, but nowadays, no, I'm completely fine with it now. I, in fact, I don't think I'd be able to survive in an office environment. <laughs> really don't. You, you wouldn't with me because I'd have killed you by now. I'm. Uh... <laughs> I'm beginning to think the office life is not for me either. But. Right. Well, what would you like to do instead? Uh, acting, but I'm not good at it, so... Okay. <laughs> Have you done any, like, um, I don't know, like amateur acting or anything like that? Like plays or something like that? Not really. Community I've been, stuff? I've been in a couple of short films, local short films, but only... I love it, you've turned it round, you interviewed me, weird. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they they weren't like big parts. I think I had like two lines and I got told off in one of them for having too much of a brummy accent, so... Oh, like, no. Dude, you're filming in Birmingham, what, what, do you, what are you... <laughs> 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 I like the only times I've been in like plays or something like that it was like school ones but um, uh, it was like nativity type ones or like, Christmas type ones I had to play a sheep one time and it was up to our parents to dress up as like sheep or wherever you were going as so my mum got me this um, white wool jump which is fine but I had loads of lettering on it you see and there's no way to hide it so basically I had like all kinds of football lettering on my back as a sheep and you're supposed to get me black tights no, she gets me bright green tights. <laughs> what, you mean you haven't seen all those sheep with bright green legs? No, no, not at all. They're really then, common, really common. Right. <laughs> and then another time it was for, like, the 12 days of Christmas, and I had to go as a, oh, what was it? What's the one that lays eggs um, in the thing? A swan or a goose? Oh, goose, I think it was. Yeah, the geese like lay, that. don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I had to drop a, a silver um, rugby ball from my arse. I um we had a really quirky uh, teacher in my primary school who was like, No, we're not gonna do the nativity as everybody expects the nativity. So one year I got to play an alien and uh, nice. and I really fucked it up for everyone too because the whole point of the the exercise was that the aliens would come to earth and go what's all this shit in the trees and stuff what are you doing and then yeah. they would explain the nativity to us and we were supposed to be all like oh I get it except at the end of the first proper performance of the play I just went what's a baby being born got to do with putting lights in a tree <laughs> and my, all of my teachers just looked at me like that's not the line and right. then, <laughs> So look, I'm just being inquisitive. Come on, um, yeah, but it was a bit insane. Anyway, yeah, you derailed again. How are we right. doing this? It's ridiculous. Nobody's right. fine. Because, um, let's get let's get back on it. So, in terms of like, Defoe sounds awesome, by the way, and it's totally on my Amazon wish list because, as everybody who listens to this show knows, I am shit at 2000 AD. <laughs> uh, but I did see Dread like a week ago or something, and. Uh, Nice. Like I really it? liked it. I liked it so much. It was with Donk. I am. Um, we didn't see it when it came out of the cinema because me and Rich don't agree with 3D uh, stuff. And I don't only, blame you. 
the only 2D showing was like Tuesday afternoon at one o'clock and I'm at work and I was like, no, <laughs> that's <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we watched it the other day and, uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome. So now I'm all like, I feel like I should get into 2000 AD, which all of my nerdy buddies have been trying to, like, do since they found out that I read comics. So it's quite funny, actually, that I've just gone, oh, I like this film. I'll read all <laughs> your comics now. It's fine. So I can imagine, though, that Dread is probably the most well-known, especially to a wider audience, of um, the 2000 AD characters. Yeah, was by it, far. W- were you nervous when you took on some Dread? Yes, because there's been so many legendary artists that have come from Dread. It's, it's, it's hard to live up to. It really is. I mean, now I've kind of, like, made a... I think I've got a version of Dread that I'm reasonably happy with now, but mine's kind of, like... Visually, my Dread is very, very old, which he is supposed to be pretty old. Um, and I kind of base my version of Dread on, um, like, an basically Clint Eastwood, as he looks now. Basically, like, a half-scrotum-type face. Um, <laughs> Slightly melted candle look. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if he's kind of, like, a love-it-or-hate-it version, you see... I, I do get like a lot of praise from for making them look old, but then I get on the other side. I do get criticisms for, for making them look old as well. I don't know; he's a bit too wrinkly for them, apparently. So, are you sure they're not getting criticisms for making him look like a scrotum? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, if you were going to recommend any particular two thousand ID stuff, obviously other than Defoe, because oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good. Well, other than the well, if you were getting the photo, visually the artwork is better. There's two trades of the foe out. The second one, Queen of the Zombies, is better. Is visually better because evolved more as Nars and it's basically like a collection that I'm very very proud of. Even right down to the extended sketchbook section at the end. Um, other trades, um, Dread. Um, I really like. There's one written by Andy Diggle drawn by Henry Flint. It was basically Alien, um, Aliens versus Dread. Also, I think the, there's a new one out. Um, I think it's coming out soon. Um, the recent Day of Chaos. It was a long, long story that ran through 2008 for quite a long time, drawn by lots of artists, different types of storylines. Um, I'm not in this first trade. I'll be in the second trade. But yeah, Judge Dread, Day of Chaos, the fourth faction. And then uh, also there's going to be a collection soon of another pretty mini epic um, called Trifecta. Yeah, that was a pretty big deal. It got 2008 like, lots of mainstream attention and stuff. Ooh. So I'd recommend that as well. Oh, another one thing I can recommend, Dread versus Batman as well. Oh, the first one. It was... Dread versus Batman? Oh, yeah. Oh, that was one of the first collections that I got. I can't believe that even exists. Like, surely everything's better with a Batman in it. There's been a, a few of them, you know. But the original one, um, the painted one by Bisley and Wagner and Alan Grant, that was the best one, I think. Nice. Would mm. you, um, if it ever got offered to you, would you like to have a, a crack at drawing a Batman? Oh, see, I have technically drawn Batman before years ago because years ago, many, many years ago, I drew an issue of Justice League Unlimited. Um, oh, yeah, that was like in 2006-ish. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you've been... <laughs> I done my research. I done my research. I know I'm done right. professional. <laughs> yeah, it was literally just one issue um, before I moved, but I, I basically like went back to 2008. Yeah, that was just the. It was a bit of a thrill there, but only thing is though, um, it was kind. Of, I was only the pencil on, like you say. The inker just balls the rub completely. It, it should have been like the easiest inking job in the world because it, I basically I, I went out my way to do all my research. I was already already loved the cartoons and everything, but I 
downloaded all the Model C sheets. Um, I got the style, the style down perfectly. And yeah, it would have been so easy to ink if you just followed my line. But the inker decided to like redraw things to make it basically look more realistic, even though it was supposed to be in the cartoon style. But yeah, it's Justice League Unlimited. It's not yeah the Justice yeah. League. Yeah, I know, and it looked awful. It, it, I couldn't even... I, I actually found like um, the comp box and I couldn't even bring myself to look at it the other week when I found it. And that's how bad I hated it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, no. So anytime I show that to people, I just show them the pencil version of it, show how it should have looked. Mm. I always find, like, Batman would be really hard to draw. I don't think, like, if I was an artist, I don't think I'd want to draw a Batman title because I'd find it really hard. I suppose the same goes with Dread as well. It must find it really hard to emote with just a chin. <laughs> <laughs> nah, no, it's, it's... I don't know. It's all about shadows, and I, I love that. I do love Batman visually. And, yes, you know, to go back to the original question, yeah, I'd would love to have a cracker draw on them again at some point. But, yeah, it's, it's all about playing with shadows. It's, oh, it's... it's Batman is gorgeous visually. He really is. Can't like Judge Red. I mean, Judge Red as well. Just gorgeous visually as well. It's very. It's just a very iconic image in general. But yeah, I can't see it ever happening. Though, to be honest. Would um would you go like go back to DC if they offered you anything at all? Yeah. See, at, in my earlier days, I would have said no straight away. Like being very naive but now I'm in a position where I have to say like never say never but I can't see it happening for a long long time if I ever tried to get work with like Marvel or DC because I have enough work coming from 2008 but now I'm in the position where I'm married now I have responsibilities I have a mortgage one day I'll have a family and so you never know but I am very happy with 2008 for a as long as they'll have me, you know, because there's a lot more artistic freedom working with 2000 AD. Um, it's a lot more laid back. As long as, yeah, as long as 2000 AD carry on giving me a lot, enough work to live off, then yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly happy sticking with 2000 AD. I mean, really, I have a plan, I have kind of life plan where I'll carry on working with 2000 AD and then uh, on the side, I'll do my own little side projects, but God knows how I'll have time for that. I mean, I want to get into performance <laughs> picture books. I've got like two nearly done children's picture books that I've written and drawn myself. But it's just, there's no time. There's just no damn time to get back to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, every every year I say, right, this is the year when I'm going to finish it. And it never happens, you know. I mean, I thought I was going to be able to do it this time. The plan was to get it finished over these next few months. But since this Jeju thing has come up, possibly come up, um, and I'm trying to get two weeks ahead of the schedule, that's any extra work has gone out the window. So we'll see anyway. Talking of um, side projects, when when you decided to propose to your lovely lady wife, yeah. you did that in comic form. How, <laughs> how long did that take from deciding, yes, I'm going to propose to this lady, <laughs> to, the, to the proposal actually hitting her eyeballs? Oh, man, uh, that that was a good few months, but it was once again it was finding the time to get it done as well. You'd, because... Surely you'd have to be pretty sneaky about it as well, because you know she oh, yeah. with you. Well, <laughs> well, here's the thing: I drew, mo- I had to draw a lot of that when she was actually she went to Shanghai, you see, to um, for work um, at the World Expo. Um, she works for Liverpool City Council as a planner, but they sent her over there for a few weeks. So I think she was over there for a couple of weeks during which time I was alone in the house being able to draw all this stuff and I was going to join her like on the third week or something 
but then I still didn't have time to get it done like before I jumped on the plane. So I was trying. So I had a friend in Shanghai, and I had to sneak to his to try and finish it on his little laptop. <laughs> and then I had to draft in another mate of mine, Simon Boland, who works. For, he's a letterer for two thousand a day. I had to draft him in to letter for me as well. But yeah, it worked out okay. It worked out well. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was going to say, know? she said yes, so it must have worked. <laughs> yes. And here's the thing. I mean, when that got posted up on my blog, to this day, it's still the most popular blog post. But it got like about 200,000 hits and like attention from Fox News and other news outlets from around the world. Aww. And it was weird. But And since then, you know, we got married. We got married in August last year. And I did another comic strip for the invite which I thought was like way better than like technically better and you know than the proposal one and that went up on my blog and hardly anyone's seen it at all. <laughs> it's it, you look at the the stats on it it has the I don't even think it's gone into double figures let alone two hundred thousand. Oh, do you want me to go and have a look at it and see? I'll push it in. <laughs> yeah, if you want. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, it's a it's a it's a drawing of like you know me and the wife jumping out of a helicopter, an exploding helicopter. Oh no, it's not in a helicopter. It's a if you look at it closely, it's actually um, Serenity from Firefly. Oh. That's exploding, but it was pretty big. Well, yeah, I don't know what the deal was there. Oh, I'm losing the world to live here because my. Uh... Oh, thank you. Sorry, oh my God. I don't mean that oh. to you. Oh. I mean because my mind has been blown by all of your awesome. Do you know what it was? <laughs> she threw me off by immediately talking about a sex theme park. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Anyone would get excited about that, though. Yeah, you know where I'm going on holiday next. <laughs> <laughs> that is a joke, listeners. <laughs> cool, blimey. What was I going to say? I've totally lost track of my brain here. Oh, dear. Well, I can tell you I'll be at the Cardiff Expo in about a week and a half. That's on the 2nd and 3rd of March. Oh, I'm so sad I'm not going to be at that. Oh, I know, I know. But, you know, it's it's one less woman to fight off. So, yeah. That's, that's true. Okay. I mean, I do always get in trouble. With I've, only got, I've only got so much strength. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. So yeah, I'm already going to have to fight off Rich and Iz and other Stacey. Oh, Rich as well? <laughs> yeah, Rich as well. Yeah, well, he's going to be the main one I have to fight off. That doesn't surprise me, actually, at all. <laughs> I've met Rich, I know what he's like. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have, I have to get the train. I've stupidly arranged to get the train from Liverpool at 5.45 in the morning to Cardiff. Yeah, that's mental. I know, I know. That's what time I normally get up in the morning for work. <laughs> right, okay then. Oh well. I'm looking forward to it though, it's gonna be good fun. Are you doing any other cons this year? The only con I'd say I'm cutting down on conventions really. Um I'm gonna be doing the probably gonna do the Thought Bubble in Leeds. That's in November. But in between Cardiff and that, uh, probably nothing, really. Um, I just wanna keep my head down and work. Um I don't know if like part of me's I don't know, it's it costs money, you see. I mean, unless you're selling a pile of stuff from your table, like books and prints and stuff like that, I don't know. It's kind of hard to do. I'll be doing sketches and, like, um, but that's about it, really. I haven't really got any books available to sell right now on me. But I don't know. I don't know if it's a tough one, you see, because on one hand, I want to see, like, all my old mates that, you know, I never see, like, all the comic book chums and stuff like that. But money's pretty much an option, really. Um, that's the deciding factor. Um, like I said, I've got we've got a house that needs a lot of work doing to it and stuff. Seriously, right? 
in, we've got a broken washing machine, broken dishwasher, we've got a damn course that needs to get done. It's, it's all boring, grown-up stuff that I, I have to spend my money on now. I can't... Gone are the days when I can just go to the comic shop and buy whatever the hell I want. I can't just buy whatever toys or statues I want now. It's rubbish, isn't it? Oh, I know. I, I can't buy statues anymore now. My I Amazon wish list got so much larger when I moved in with Rich and had no money of my own. It was yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> so good. Um, but here's a question though: Have oh, yeah. you got the new Turtles figures that just came out? No, I've, I, all I have is um, Donatello. Mm. Oh, are those the ones based on the old, on the eighties show or the new Nickelodeon? No, the new one. The new oh, oh, that's okay. good show, isn't it? It's oh man, cool show. It's I love the theme off. tune to it. The new it's, theme tune. It's grown on me because it wasn't. Oh yeah, I remember you didn't <laughs> like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I um. I got a turtle sketch from you, didn't I, at Thought Bubble yeah. last year when everybody was going, can I have a dread? Can I have a dread? And I went, can I get a raff? Like, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, no, like, it wasn't It wasn't sold on me um, for a while, but it's growing on me. It's growing on me. I prefer it at the end without the lyrics. Yeah. I like the arrangement of it. I just think some of the lyrics are... I mean, I know I'm probably expecting a bit too much because it's a show about ninja... You know, yeah. mutant turtle teenage things, <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm fairly certain you can come up with a better lyric than you know kids doing ninja things. I mean, <laughs> what kind of ninja things? Be specific. <laughs> you know what? What still gets me every time I see this, like the intro sequence, is the part with Leonardo bobbing his head in the car to the I love beat. That. Oh, I, I love that. that. That every single time that bit gets me. It's cool. That always makes me think of that scene in Kick-Ass, though, when they're driving and they're uh, they're yeah. bopping along to Niles Barkley. Mm-hmm. Always makes yeah. me think of that. You know, what's it? Did you watch um, the reboots of Thundercats? I caught a little bit of it, but um, uh, I didn't really watch the uh, the old school Thundercats. I wasn't oh, okay. Well, see, it was one of the few shows that didn't bother doing the new um, intro sequence or theme tune. It just went straight into the story. It was stupid, and it's been cancelled now. And I think, you know, any cartoon, if you want, like, to do with a toy line or anything like that, you need to have a good theme tune that the kids can sing along to and a good intro sequence. And Thundercats just didn't do it this time, and that's I think that's a good reason, like, why it didn't last and the kids didn't connect with it. Because the Turtles has been commissioned for a second series now, hasn't it? Yeah, and I'm not remotely surprised at I'm all. I'm so excited. It's a bit stupid. <laughs> 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 I really need to grow up, but I'm not gonna. Nah, it's not gonna happen. People for, uh, like you are never. People like me and you aren't ever gonna grow up. No. For Christmas last year, like my mum bought me, um, you know, a couple of a couple of regular person things, like a couple of CDs, a couple of DVDs. She also yeah. bought me a Donatello, a Shredder, a Foot Soldier, and a Splinter. And my nan, my nan got me one of the Krang. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, nice. Christmas. I love Christmas so much. Oh, man. See, I don't... I have the problem with... I just don't have enough space in my studio now. I mean, like, we moved into this house about a year and a half ago, and I was quite proud of the fact that it was more streamlined. Like, I, I didn't get everything out, like, all my toys out. I just I kept them boxed up in, in, the, in, the, in, like, the storeroom or whatever. But now I've been getting... <sighs> I've had to. I've, I've found a box lately, and I've been getting little bits out every now and then, like like a couple of Bionicle toys, and um, got a Thundercats figure, and all little knickknacks everywhere, and it's made my room cluttered again now, and I hate it. They are an absolute bugger to dust and all. I know. I've, I don't bother dusting them. 
Rich has got awesome. a, he collects the old wrestling figures yeah and then like the entire of the top we've got like a shelf above our computer desk and the entire of that is just covered in them and I knocked one of them over the other day and it was just like dominoes and I was like <laughs> I don't oh. want to deal with this right now <laughs> what's what's the pride what's your pride of joy in your collection ooh um Rich got me a mint in its box still Baxter Stockman figure when he turns into a fly in the 80s cartoon wow. show and it's uh, it's pretty swish he also bought me a Michelangelo dressed as a samurai uh, which is pretty awesome as well <laughs> nice and I've got a big Moon Knight statue that I love and all Ooh, but that cool. is that is heavy that is that could kill someone if it like fell on you it's massive yeah I- I got that beat though. I've got a life size Iron Man bust. That is heavy. And then <laughs> I always think if there's ever an earthquake in like in Birmingham, not that there ever is, but if there ever is one, everything will be knocked over except that Moon Knight statue. <laughs> <laughs> that will just be there going, what all the other stuff. <laughs> yeah. I've also got a my other pride enjoyed my Batman Beyond statue as well. If from the days when there used to be Warner Brothers stores, Warner Brothers Studio stores in town and they used to sell loads of cool statues. Cool. I don't get many statues because statues are bigger and they're therefore harder to find somewhere to put. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm gonna have to like take a picture of my mantelpiece because and send it to you because seriously, it's like where's the fire? Because you can't see it for toys. We um, oh, okay. <laughs> at our wedding we had a we had a, a large Galactus figure on the, the top table that was holding oh, the Oh nice. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, anyway, enough about me. Cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, what's the pride and joy uh, of your? It was the Iron Man bust and the Batman Beyond statue. Yeah. yeah. But I've also got a dread helmet and also a life-size um, Hellboy right-handed Doom prop replica. Rich had a big Hellboy figure, but his right arm was so heavy he never stood up and then it fell off. <laughs> ah, man. So we were like, should not have taken that one out of the box. <laughs> So, any more questions then? Actually, I've pretty much run out because you answered the last one, which was going to be, do you want to plug anything or talk about any appearances you've got coming up? So, done that, tick that box. So, hey, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure, Stace. It was cool. It was really delightful. Well, thanks for having me on anyway. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for coming on. Absolutely love that guy. That was so much fun. So this is uh, is the end of the Fancy Pants birthday episode. Uh, I'm quite disappointed because I don't have a cake to eat or a candle to blow out or anything. I did just eat a Maltese bunny though, so, you know, all's not lost. (laughs) Just want to get all sappy and say a couple of thank yous. First is to my delightful husband who has helped me sort of pimp out the show, making business cards for future use 
and some leaflets and things that I can take to cons and local comic shops and stuff. So thank you for that. Um, also a big thanks go out to Bevis Musson and David Wynn, who basically they were the two main guys who got me back into the podcasting after Comic Racks finished um, and I went to my first Thought Bubble Con in 2011. They were both sort of lamenting the fact that I wasn't, uh, that my delightful dulcet brummy tones weren't around on the internet anymore and they convinced me to have a pop at doing something for myself so thank you guys for that. Thanks to everybody who's come on as a guest uh, co-host so far. It's been awesome talking to all of you. I mean it's, uh, I think one of the things I really like about doing this show is the fact that every episode's a little bit different. So that's been that's been fantastic. So thank you all for that. And thanks also to those of you who uh, who have suggested yourselves for future episodes. I am sorry that some of you have been waiting for yonks. It's just uh, it's just really hard with scheduling and stuff, particularly you American people. But hopefully I'll get around to you at some point in the not too distant future. And um, and finally, thank you to everybody who's listening to the show. Uh, I've got absolutely no idea of the numbers because, unfortunately, I have to pay a little bit extra for that privilege. So uh, I like to think that it's like millions of you. Uh, it probably isn't, but we'll say millions. We'll go with millions. And, uh, yeah, thank you to all of you for, for keeping on listening. And I hope you enjoyed all the interviews and that I didn't make too much of a tit of myself because that happens quite a lot. <laughs> And, uh, and I hope you continue to listen uh, for a long, long time. As long as you guys are listening, I will keep blathering on. So uh, thanks again, and I will see you next month when we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming of an absolute ramble fest. Uh, don't know who the, the co-host is going to be as yet, but we've got to love the element of surprise, hey? Finally, if you'd like to get in touch with me to comment on any of the bits of the episode or if you would like to put yourself forward to join me on the show in the future as a co-host, uh, you can get in touch with me by either dropping me an email at stacysparlour at gmail.com or alternatively you can get a hold of me on the Twitters. Uh, I'm Stace Bob T, and that's a capital S and a capital T. Yeah, so just, uh, just drop me a line and you can be on the show. Um, you know, within reason, if you're a completely crazy person who uh, seems to want to stalk me or murder me or something, I'm probably not going to go there. But, you know, anybody else, pretty fair game, really, uh, as long as you're into stuff, because it's quite a big window of things to talk about on the show. So, yeah, just get in touch with me, and I will see you all next month. Ta-ra! A salute at the threshold of the North Sea of my mind And a nod to the boredom that drove me here To face the tide and swim Oh, swim Oh, swim Dip a toe in the ocean Oh, how it hardens and it numbs the rest of me is a version of man built to collapse and crumb. And if I hadn't come now to the coast to disappear, I may have died in the landslide of rocks and hopes and fear. So I swim until you can't see land.
for those of the listeners who don't know, a shiwi is essentially a weirdly shaped funnel you can stuff by your chuff and have a whiz day. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you just said chuff. Oh, my God. I love the word chuff and twadge, and people don't use them in the right. 